0: Welcome to season two of the Dutch podcast, where integrative medicine providers and patients can learn about hormones and explore the body's most complex communication system. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, chief medical officer for Dutch. As a clinician, I focused on fertility and I use Dutch testing to uncover the role that hormones play in a couple's ability to conceive. Now, as the new host of the Dutch podcast, I'll be joined by experts in functional medicine, He'll help us make sense of our body's hormones and take the guesswork out of treating hormone-related issues. Coming up on this week's episode, I'm turning the tables on Mark Newman, the president and founder of Precision Analytical, creators of The Dutch Test, and I'm asking him the tough questions. He's been traveling around the country lately, sharing new research that shows how dried urine testing can be used to monitor estrogen replacement therapy. Now, if you're prescribing or taking bioidentical hormones, you'll want to stick around to hear about the validated data behind Dutch. Okay. Well, since I'm the official host of the podcast now, I get to turn the tables and ask you guys the questions, right? Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, I really would love for you to share some of the amazing things that you've been working on at Dutch.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think my focus lately has really been diving into the topic of evidence um, on a number of fronts. And that's really where I, I like to spend a lot of my energies is, you know, digging through the literature and asking the question, like, what do we know already based on the literature that should shape the way that we practice Uh, i say we practice i'm a chemist you practice so people are theoretical to me they're real for you (laughs) so that's good um but you know looking at the complicated topics especially of hrt has kind of been a little bit of a soapbox topic for me of trying to figure out in a different in different scenarios where the lab testing is helpful and where it's not helpful for starters Um, because we don't want to, we don't want to misapply any like our testing, other people's testing. There's certain scenarios where, uh, you know, sometimes testing is ill-advised in terms of changing therapy. And then sometimes there are specific tests that work very well. There's just a lot of confusion in the industry. So there's kind of a two prong effort for me in that. And one is to set up what we're doing in terms of data capturing and uh, working with researchers uh, to, to try to illuminate the things that are still unknown. And then two, it's, it's kind of shocking how much is known once you really dig into the data and say what is true and what is untrue. And what is true is really, really hard sometimes to establish. But there are some things that that we've been able to to sort of narrow our focus on just by looking at the breadth of things that have been have been done so far in all, in all of these different studies. So that's that's one area of interest for me is both what we're doing and what what's happening in the literature. Um, and then on top of that is looking at all of the things that we're testing, both with research groups and just with the clinical data that we're collecting, and looking at the claims that are used in our testing to change people's lives. Those claims, uh, some are are born out in the literature very clearly, and we can just work off of that. And then for some of those things, there's still some uncertainty there. And so we're looking at trying to get a lot of that data first clarified and then into the literature. So just returned actually from a really interesting conversation with the people at the North American Menopause Society. So we've got a couple abstracts in there the last couple of years. Um, last year, looking at gels, patches and creams and what's happening in urine and looking at those, those levels scaling up, which is really interesting. This year we turned our focus, actually when we went last year, there was a lot of interest there in vaginal hormones and the this sort of uncertainty of at what dose do we see systemic estrogen. And our test, a lot of people don't actually know that our test has been built specifically to be helpful for vaginal hormones, because in urine testing, you can get contamination and we've eliminated that. And that's a longer story. But what we're able to do is look at the data at different doses and see how the utility of the testing and also to give some insight, which that group was really interested in the tiny little doses that you can give as a vaginal hormonal supplement and see um, systemic exposure of estrogen. So that was really interesting um, to look at that. We had another abstract on DIM and HRT and, and the different levels that you're getting with and without the addition of DIM when you're on estrogen. Uh, and now I'm turning my focus to what's next, which is the abstracts that we've had accepted at ASRM for reproductive medicine, looking at uh, the one I'm most excited about, a couple on cycle mapping, looking at patterns of cycle mapping in different situations. That's mildly interesting to me. But what's really interesting is we were able to show statistical correlation between the androgens that we measure in the Dutch test and people who do and do not have PCOS. And that's a really nice to tie in clinically uh, the evidence of just how useful the test can be in, in essentially differentiating between groups who have high androgen symptoms or particular symptoms that are driven by androgens, and, and maybe those are that are not, because that's ultimately what we want to be, is a tool for differentiation, meaningful differentiation between those that have a a hormonal, a hormonally driven issue and someone who needs to keep searching for the source of their problem that may not be uh, centered around hormones. So, so evidence around all of the topics that we're talking about all the time is really where my focus has been, uh, primarily, uh, the last little bit, which has been really fun.
2: And those are the, the poster sessions and kind of the, the research that you've been doing. You also had the opportunity to speak at uh, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine at their uh, BHRT Symposium in Boston. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about that, about how that talk went, what you spoke about? Uh, I think that, that would be also be really interesting to the audience.
1: Yeah, the first topic uh, that I mentioned in terms of HRT and evidence, that was really the, the focal point of that. I've spent, honestly, 20 years really trying to First, figure out what the literature has to say, what the data has to say about this really confusing topic that we we talk about a lot around here, which is, you know, if I take a hormone uh, as an injection, the things you see in urine, serum, and saliva, they tend to sort of tell the same story, right? And then you take a hormone and put it on your foot or wherever on your skin as a cream or a gel, and you get these two really different messages, right? The saliva numbers are going to go really high. The urine and the serum, depending on the hormone, are going to lag behind significantly behind that. And then this whole industry has just spent a generation saying, what do we do Uh, with, you know, a sizable group of people saying that what happens in your saliva is a surrogate for tissue. And so we should follow that information, even though it's drastically different than what you see in serum or urine. And then, and then other people leaning into the assumption that what's going on in these other tests is really reflecting reality. And I spent a lot of time, Um, first of all, just following all of the data to see which model it supported better. And I think there's a really clear message there that this idea that what goes on clinically parallels what happens in saliva, which gives us a unique message. Yes, it's unique. um, But in every one of those studies, uh, the data doesn't really support that, that what's happening to bone and vaginal tissue. And what happens with women's hot flashes and men with testosterone and, and muscle and bone and um, all of the things associated with that tend to lean in the other direction that what's going on in serum and urine, which is giving you a pretty different message. Um, I try to break that down for people because it's really, it's complicated. Um, and not to get too into the weeds here, here today, uh, which is no, easy to do. Okay. It's sort of my, my soapbox um, topic because I spent a decade confused, um, and really digging into the data. And some people helped me sort of find my way into, as I mentioned before, what, what the model that's not true that I think is helpful for us to, uh, to deconstruct a little bit and then to start building back, um, you know, a, in some of these situations, the testing isn't helpful. And in some cases, um, like with topical testosterone, I think we should be leaning on serum. And when it comes to topical estrogen, I think the urine testing, the data seems to parallel, Really well, what's going on clinically. But what we don't have is nobody's got out there and said, I'm going to look at baseline hormone values and then hormones in saliva, in urine, in serum, on therapy, and concurrently look at clinical endpoints. What happens to bone? What happens to vaginal atrophy? Like nobody's put all that together. So you have to look at all the different studies and sort of overlay them all to see where you get alignment. And you get a reasonably clear picture, but it's very confusing to try to piece it together. So that's what I tried to do for the audience mm-hmm. is here's where we see disalignment, right? Um, where, you know, topical testosterone is the best place to see it, where you see these huge numbers in saliva. And you say, okay, let's look at the clinical data with the same doses of the same products. And you don't see the clinical impact that matches up with the message there. And that's where I think we want to lean into serum. And with the estrogen, the overlay is really nice, I think, with what we're seeing. And that's what I want to keep pushing into is to work with clinical researchers to say, okay, now the next step is to look at concurrent measurements of all of the lab values with the clinical endpoints. But that takes, you know, it takes a village. Like it takes the clinical researchers and it takes a, you know, more of a joining of forces, if you will, uh, from. The, the pharmacy side and the lab side and, and and looking at the clinical endpoint from the clinician side. Um, and so, you know, that's something that over... It's going to take time, but uh, we're yeah. committed to just chasing truth wherever it takes us um, and and helping to unfold for people where the Dutch test is moderately useful, where it's exceptionally useful, and where it's a tool that that really isn't helpful to um, so trying to break that down for people is something that we're really, really passionate about. So, and that was a really nice conversation with that group. And it's a group where you get mixed messages. And most people leave Mm -hmm. those conferences going, wow, like when one person has the microphone, this is true. And when someone else has the microphone, this is true. And just trying to break those things down as well as just being transparent where there still is, you know, a fair amount of uncertainty um, is, you know, is what makes our job fun. So there's, there is a lot for us to do uh, from an educational and informational standpoint so that we can continue to narrow people's focus of what best practices are because they're incredibly varied specifically on that topic because of how, you know, rightly confusing it is.
0: Right. And I I think one thing you said during that lecture that really rings true is like, it's not about selling more tests, right? Dutch actually has the capability to measure saliva. We do it with cortisol because that's the best medium for that. So it wouldn't be impossible or even expensive really to develop methods to be measuring reproductive hormones in saliva. Like competitors do. And there's definitely a market for it out there. But it's impressive to think about the fact that you've held back from that business opportunity because the science isn't there. So it's not a matter of like, should Dutch be doing salivary estrogen? you know, estradiol or whatever, the science isn't there to support it. It's not that the methodology or the equipment isn't already inside the building. So that says a lot. And, And this was really impressive to me coming in as a new doctor and really kind of getting under the hood at Dutch. A couple points. One, the level of commitment to evidence and research is unbelievable. Like we have a research team and they are doing things such as looking at the data that comes out of the lab to find information like we talked about with the PCOS um, poster at ASRM. And additionally, looking at partnerships with outside researchers, and there's some really exciting ones um, that we've seen preliminary data for that we're not at liberty to discuss again that can really break open and start to answer some of those questions out there that clinicians have. And, And I think as a ND, like One thing that's amazing about functional medicine and naturopathic medicine is that it's very leading in a lot of ways. One example outside of our field is like the leaky gut concept. Now, the concept of like the gut being the home of or the origin for many diseases dates back to like the 60s and 70s. And it was these like hippie naturopaths out there touting the importance of digestion. And it got poo-pooed and poo-pooed. And it was based upon astute observation of their patients and what patterns they were seeing but you know the conventional medical paradigm you know really put down that theory for quite a long time until 5 to 10 years ago when all of a sudden we're finding markers and we're finding ties with autoimmunity and we're talking about the importance of the microbiome and things that have felt innately true for a long time, but had not been validated yet in research. And so there's still so many of those blocks to, like, unpack in functional medicine where we operate based upon assumptions, but we don't have the data yet to conclusively demonstrate. And ultimately, if we want to help more people, we need that data also. And and I think there's been circumstances where we found we're wrong. You know, monitoring hormones is one example where I know you Also learned from mentors and trusted that information. And then over time, we're exposed to more data that caused you to rethink your hypothesis like a good scientist would do, right? And kind of make shifts there. And I think that's what we're seeing here is like we want to be able to validate what's true and also, like you said, look at what might not be true to help us kind of keep an open mind as scientists, the scientist part of being a clinician, Um, To really help inform our best practices. And that was so exciting to see how passionate you were about it and how much had been done, but how much was in the works because it's been really ramping up recently. Yeah.
2: Speaking about exciting things that are happening at Precision Analytical, creators of the Dutch test, uh, we are going to be celebrating 10 years of Dutch uh, coming up really soon. And so in December, Uh, you're going to see a really awesome promotion that we're going to be coming up with the 10 days of Dutch to celebrate the 10 years of Dutch the first 10 days of December. Yeah, it's a little cheesy, but it's what we do here. Uh, And we're going to have promos every single day. So make sure you pay attention to the podcast and the Dutch digest. So sign up for that if you're not already signed up for it. So you can be informed and get some free Dutch testing along with some other awesome things that we're going to be building out Uh, that are really exciting that are going to be paired up with uh, A4M in uh, Las Vegas at their World Congress December 8th through the 12th. Really excited for all of that information. So um, a lot of things coming in season two. Jacqueline Smeaton, naturopathic doctor, is the host and the chief medical officer at Precision Analytical Creators of the Dutch Test. Uh, A lot of fun information going to be headed your way. So make sure that you subscribe to our podcast anywhere that you hear us uh, or that you also sign up for our Dutch Digest so that we can get you that information. Uh, So thanks again for joining us, Dr. Smeaton, Mark. This is the official baton as we hand it off to Jacqueline. Uh, This baby is now yours. Uh, We'll be coming out with a a brand new episode every week. Uh, So stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned and we'll see you next time.
2: All right. I'm excited. Thanks, Jacqueline.